Well, bless the living God. You know, it's a great pleasure for me today to get into introduce our guest. He's not really a guest. He's part of the family. He just shows up periodically. But like a bad penny. I've known Wick for a long time. And Wick, unbeknown to some of you guys, has been an integral part of this body for ever since it began. In 75, when John and those guys were having visions, Wick was part of that. Wick has been part of youth with a mission since he was a youth. That's right. Which is a while ago. A while ago. But he has been an integral part of that ministry. If you don't know, Wick is an elder over the elders at Christ Center. Now, if the elders and the pastors ever get in a fuss, we call Wick. And Wick says, thus saith God, and we, it settles it. So that's how it's operated at Christ Center for a number of years. Wick has spoken into us in some really, really hard times, and he's spoken to us in some really good times. And we totally appreciate it. So let's just hear the... You guys got to pray harder in this section. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> anyway, let's give the biggest, most rambunctious Christ Center welcome to our elder friend, mentor, Wick Neese. Thank you. It's uh, really great to be here with you. It's good to be home. Uh, when we joined missions uh, back in the dark ages, uh, basically our, my home church wasn't thrilled uh, with what we were doing and kind of shut the door on us. And Jan's home church supported us for a while and then said, you know, we have other things we're doing, so, you know, find your way in the world alone. And right at that time, God brought us in contact with Christ Center. And in, uh, it was either December of 1975 or January of 76. You'll have to uh, excuse my memory loss on which month it was, but it was one of those two months. We uh, came to uh, Junction City in Harrisburg and we ran into this crazy man named John Bowers. And you're all laughing because you know. And uh, uh, it really uh, changed, it touched our lives, changed us, and we became embraced by this wonderful congregation. And you guys, you are our home church. Nobody else will have us. So uh, <laughs> you're kind of stuck with us. And uh, it's really been an amazing adventure with, with you guys. And some of you are new, I've not met you yet. Others have been here a long time and you know who we are. Uh, we have been with Youth of the Mission since 1972. I teach in a lot of our YWAM uh, discipleship training schools with a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds. Whenever I, see, whenever I say that to them, their eyes get really big. And they, they, you know, they look at us with this strange expression. And so I usually say, 1972, the year that electricity was invented. And they go, wow. <laughs> and they really believe me. And so uh, we've been in YWAM since 1972. And uh, uh, we're going into our 12th year in YWAM in a, a specific ministry 
to orphans, widows, and the desperately poor and needy. This ministry is called Streams of Mercy. And so God has led us in a lot of different ministries around the world, and we're going into our 12th year in a ministry that really is impacting the lives of orphans and widows around the world. Uh, we just uh, added our 30th orphanage a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm happy to say in just a matter of like two weeks, we had it funded. And uh, it was just amazing uh, what God has been doing. Uh, we're processing our 31st orphanage. As soon as we finalize the details of checking them out fully, then we'll begin supporting them as well. It's very exciting. I understand you guys are, are, this is our first week launching into the overview of the New Testament. And Jason uh, and Joshua asked me to do something that I felt was the impossible task. They said, would you summarize the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew? And then whatever else God lays on your heart. And so when Jason walked up to me, I said, Jason, I can summarize it in two minutes. And so I'm gonna give you the summary of what happened between the Old and New Testament. It was 400 years. It was a very dark time in Israel's history. It was a time of being conquered by many nations. They were conquered by Babylon, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, the Egyptians, and the Romans, and anyone else who wanted to conquer them. And during that time, the religion of their forefathers continued, but it was just that, it was religion, it was not relationship with God. And during those years, two major parties developed, two religious parties developed in the nation of Israel. There were the Sadducees, they were the liberals, they were the people who gravitated to Greek teaching, they were the ones who did not believe in miracles. And then there were the Pharisees, they believed the word of God, they taught the word of God, but they figured the word of God was really not enough, so they added a whole bunch of rules to the law. And the, the similarity between the Sadducees and Pharisees was this. Both of them became more religious. Neither of them was relational with the living God. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he wrecks their worlds. Doesn't Jesus do that? When Jesus comes into our lives, he wrecks our worlds. My life was well planned out before Jesus showed up. But you know what I found out real quickly? Jesus' plan is way better. Amen. It's so much better for us. So there was, during those 400 years, the rise of religion but not relationship. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And there's a scripture in Galatians chapter four. I want us to look at it together. And it's how Paul describes the coming of Jesus. He says this, when the fullness of time came, I like that, when the fullness of time, wow, 400 years is a lot of fullness of time. There was a long period of time and God was not inactive during that time. God was putting together God's plan 
that was the plan for his son to come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. You know, if we only got redemption, that would be enough. But Jesus brought so much more that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. We're not just, rele- we're not just redeemed, we get to be adopted. I love it. Our youngest son is adopted. And I remember the day that I told him he was adopted, it was a very tough day for me. I, I mean, he, I was afraid he would feel rejected or something. And so I struggled and I labored and I told him that he was adopted and I made it as wonderful as I could make it and the next day I got a call from his preschool teacher. She said, Wick, Michael did something very strange in preschool today. That is the statement every parent hates. (laughs) And I'm like, what was it? She said he walked into the preschool, threw up his arms and yelled, I'm adopted! (laughs) And I simply said, thank you, Jesus. He did not know what it was, but he knew it was good. Isn't that how it is when we come to Jesus? We don't know what happened, but it's good. And so Jesus came not only to redeem us, he came to adopt us. And it says this, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Daddy, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, you're a son. And if a son, you're an heir through God. We are sons and daughters. We don't just have religion, we have relationship. And I I want us to look at the difference very quickly between religion and relationship. They are vastly different. Religion is external, it's the what you do. It's how you fulfill the rules. Relationship is always internal, it's on the inside. Religion is about the rules. If you fulfill the rules, you're good. But Jesus came that we might not just have rules, we might have intimacy. Religion robs you of life. You wanna be dead, be religious. Oh, but let me tell you something. Relationship with Jesus, it breathes life into us. Religion is dead. Relationship is not just life, but it's full of life. Religion is man's standard. Relationship is God's standard. Religion is harsh and unforgiving. Relationship is full of grace. I love that, don't you? I don't know about you, but I need God's grace. I wake up every morning and I need God's grace. And Jan shouldn't say amen to that. Religion regulates actions. Relationship transforms the heart. Oh, I'm so glad. It's not just don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. It's about loving Jesus and being transformed. I like John chapter one. 
verses 14 through 16. It says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw the glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh my goodness, Jesus showed us grace, and he also showed us truth. And Jesus was the perfect marrying of grace and truth together. We get to see who God is through the expression of his son, full of grace and truth. And John testified about him and cried out saying, this is he of whom it was said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me, for of his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Oh my goodness, how different is that than the law of the scribes and Pharisees? It's not just grace and truth together, but it's more and more grace as well. Grace upon grace. Again, I'm so grateful that God gives us grace upon grace. Jesus came to show an infinitely better way. And that infinitely better way was intimacy with the living God. Friendship, sonship, daughtership with the living God. I love that. We are family. I was just with my adopted son this last week. And what a fun time. He's an incredibly funny guy. I love this guy. And I just love hanging out with him, just having fun together, which we did last week. I love that I am his dad. Oh, we're not biologically connected, but we're connected through adoption and through the heart. You see, we are not God's physical daughters and sons, but we are his sons and daughters. Just as much as my son is my son, and nothing will ever change that. I love it that Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom of intimacy. It is also what I call an upside-down kingdom. The world operates by certain standards. The beautiful people are the ones we honor. The rich people, the popular people, the movie stars, the glamorous. And Jesus' kingdom is totally different. It flips it all upside down. And who God values are not those people who the world values. The ones that God values are those who are the humble ones who die to themselves to seek his face and live to him. It's a different kingdom. It's an upside down kingdom. I love a scripture in Luke chapter nine. The disciples were always really concerned about which one of them was the greatest. Several times in the scriptures we find that the uh, disciples would argue about which one of them was the greatest. This is another one of those illustrations. Luke 9, 46 through 48. Uh, 46 through 48, an argument started among them of, about which one of them was the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. I pray better. I heal better. I'm closest to Jesus. 
And each one of them had a reason why they were the greatest. And Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, ooh, isn't that something? Jesus wasn't looking at their actions, he knew their hearts. It's not just about what we do, it's about who we are. He took a child and stood him by his side and he said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives, receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among all of you, this is the one who is great. You see, the, the kingdom of the world, it's the strongest, it's the most powerful, it's the one who has the biggest army, who has the, the greatest ability to subjugate others. They're the greatest in the world. Jesus said, in my kingdom, it's totally different. You wanna be great, you become the least of all. You wanna become the leader, become the servant of all. You see, Jesus' kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Just between you and me, I like Jesus' kingdom a whole lot. Because it shows the heart of the living God. The humble have great strength. The least are the greatest. And then Jesus goes on and teaches and shows what it is to have a heart for those that the world rejects, the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan, the ones that everybody else turns away from. In our world today, as we sit in this wonderful place, across this globe, as we've worked with orphans in many, many countries around the world, as we are sitting in this wonderful place, 143 million children are surviving on the streets of cities in the countryside, 143 million orphans exist in this world today. I think 143 million. I hang out with hundreds or a couple thousand usually uh, at different times over my life. And I'm overwhelmed. And I think, God, these are the ones on your heart. These are the ones you care for. In Matthew 25, there's an interesting scripture, verses 31 through 46, and I, I want us, it's a longer passage than I normally like to read or quote or, or look at, but it's, it's an important story. And it highlights the heart of God for the needy of this world. It says this, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. They, uh, this is called the great white throne judgment. There's coming a day when all of us will stand before the living God and give an account for our lives. Give an account as to whether or not we have embraced the Son of God and let him change our lives or not. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and his goats on the, on the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? And when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you. I like that word truly. It means this is truth. Pay attention. This is truth. Pay attention. Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I was naked, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked? When did we see you sick or in prison and not take care of you? And then he will answer them and say, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of these, you did not do it to me. Then these will go away into eternal punishment and into eternal, uh, into uh, what does it say, the last one? Into and, but the religious into eternal life. The righteous. Oh, no, not the religious. But the righteous. I'm sorry, you guys. I'm adjusting to no glasses in my life uh, after 43 years of having glasses. Uh, my eye doctor did some things to help me out, and I can see most things. Uh, the righteous into eternal life. I want to introduce you to a, a few of my friends. These are the, I saw you hungry and I fed you. I saw you thirsty and I gave you something to drink. I saw you naked and I clothed you. I saw you a stranger and I took you in. It's these people that I, I just want to highlight before you this morning. The first uh, picture is a picture of an incredible couple. They're dear friends of mine. Uh, they are Sam and Irene Casolo. They are Ugandan. And I had the privilege last week of being with Sam Casolo in Los Angeles. Sam flew into Southern California. He was in a conference in Tijuana, and then we hung out with him for a couple days. Sam and Irene are amazing people. When I met them about four or five years ago, Sam and Irene had four adopted children, I'm sorry, four biological children and 28 adopted children. 32 children. And so I was amazed as I visited their home, obviously, because their home was the most amazing place. It's the kind of place you really want to hang out, even with 32 kids. Uh, we call his wife Saint Irene for all the obvious reasons. Any woman who can run a household with 32 kids uh, is a saint. 
I saw a couple of the boys cutting up at one point, and I loved it. She simply looked. She did not raise her eyebrows. How did she do that? She just glanced over, and they were like, ooh, okay, we're good. I thought, she did not raise her eyebrows. I give the death look, it's the, no way, she didn't even do that, she just glanced. I thought, a woman has to have that kind of power with 32 kids. About a year ago, Sam called me up. He said, Wick, I, oh, I need to talk to you. I said, well, Sam, what is it? He said, well, uh, there's an orphanage closing in Kampala. I said, yes. <laughs> he said, there are 10 children in this orphanage. And he said, Wick, I can't let them be thrown out on the street. The government's just gonna throw them out on the street. He said, I can't let that happen, he said, and so Irene and I are adopting those 10 children. And I am like, Sam, you already have 32 children. I didn't say those words, but I thought it. And he said, and Wick, we don't have any place to put them. Uh, no, no wonder, they don't have a massive house as it is. I do not know where they put all these children. And I've been in their house. And he said, Wick, I need to put a wing on the boys' part of our house. And you know what? If you can help us, that would be great. I've raised, a, I've raised some of the money, but I really need several thousand dollars. And if you could help us, that'd be great. And I said, Sam, I will wire you the money right away. I know what's going to happen. They're going to go into that family. And sure enough, they did. And now the children with 32, the family with 32 children became the family with 42 children. I was just with Sam, and I'll show you a picture of Sam and Irene with some of their kids. <laughs> Those are the ones that were there that night. Uh, different ones were at work, at school. I mean, it was just amazing. Uh, but this is just a small number of their kids and their family. You see Sam and Irene on the back, on the right, and the, the guy in the blue shirt, George is a handicapped young man who his family threw him away and they were, he was caught by Sam and Irene Casolo. I love that family. I was just with Sam and Irene in March and the family was so excited to introduce me to number 43. A six-year-old who God just brought into their family to love and care for and to raise in the love of Jesus Christ. Now I've had people when I tell the story, they look at me and say there's no way on the face of the earth one family can take care of that number of kids. I wanna tell you something, there is a way and that's them. Because they saw them naked and hungry and abandoned and unloved and they said on our watch we're not letting that happen. I love this couple, and so not only do Sam and Irene have this amazing family that they've taken in all these kids, he felt like, okay, I've gotta start a ministry to orphans, I can't adopt all of them, and so he started meeting with Christian leaders, looking at them, pointing his finger in their face, saying, I'm doing this, what are you doing? God has called all of us 
to take care of orphans. You know what I'm, I'm gonna tell you this morning, you guys? God has called all of us to take care of orphans. That's Bible, that's not Wickney's. There are 2,000 scriptures in this book that talk about our, our need to care for the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the person who has no one else to help them. That's Bible, and that is the kingdom of God. And so Sam started what, it, what he calls the Foster Family Network, which is getting in the face of Christian leaders saying, what are you doing? And so over the years, we've met a number of these families. I, I think of Moses and Panina. They are a couple who we visited them. They had 16 kids, and it's really exciting because the next time I visited, visited them, there were 19 children. And I went to Moses and I said, Moses, you have 16? He says, yes. I said, I counted 19. He said, yes. <laughs> I said, Moses, how did it go from 16 to 19? He goes, when do you say no? I thought 16 is a good number. <laughs> and so they have this network and not only those that have adopted children, but those, those families not only adopt children, they adopt widows whose husbands have died of AIDS, most often when those widows are HIV positive. And they become the support system for other families. The next picture uh, is a picture of Olivia. I love Olivia. She's a widow. She and her husband had six girls. Olivia's husband died of AIDS. She contracted HIV from her husband. When he died, it is the husband's family's responsibility to take care of the family. They came to Olivia and said, Olivia, it's our responsibility to care for you, but you only gave birth to girls. Since you gave us no male children, we are absolved of all of our responsibilities. You're on your own. She lived in a mud hut with six daughters with no hope of help and then a crazy man named Sam Casolo came along. Next picture. And he built this brick house for that family. And he cares for that family and they're one of the extended families in the Foster Family Network. Do you know today in the Foster Family Network, as we sit here, there are 19 families and 250 children. All because one man said, I saw them hungry and I fed them. I saw them thirsty and I gave them something to drink. Uh, the next picture is uh, one of the little girls of a lady named Aisha, I love this little girl. And you know, we can think of 143 million, and it doesn't mean anything, but I can look at that little girl and I can be with that little girl when I am in Uganda, and I can say, okay God, I can think of 143 million hers. This little girl, her mom is HIV positive, is battling AIDS horribly. This little girl has seven brothers and sisters. And her father died of AIDS, infected her mother. 
living in a mud hut with the mother's sister-in-law and her eight kids in two little mud huts. And then this crazy guy named Sam Casolo came along and built a brick house for both of them on the same property. Interestingly enough, he couldn't afford to buy property, so he gave them his personal family property to build their houses on. And every time we go, we go and visit Aisha and her family. This has been quite an adventure for us. We get to travel uh, to countries and we get to see the children that we are caring for through all of these different orphanages and ministries. Uh, about a year and a half ago, I traveled to Uganda on that trip. Jan did not go on that trip. And we had talked about my going out on a remote island in Lake Victoria. Lake Victoria is the second largest lake on the face of the earth. It's like taking out across the ocean in a, in a little boat. Well, I asked them, I said, is this a little boat or a big boat? Oh, they go, Wick, it's a big boat. I found out when I got to the water's edge that big is a relative term. <laughs> and Jan had warned me. She said, Wick, niece, I do not want you going on a little boat across that lake to a remote island where they have a medical clinic caring for people that no one else will care for. And so I'll just give you a little clip of my starting out in this little boat that I was told was a big boat as we're headed out across Lake Victoria. Okay. Here we are on the Nile River and we're traveling by boat to the island of Lingira. We'll be visiting a medical clinic there and also visiting the work that is being done by Youth with a Mission. It's a tremendous adventure and I'm glad that Jan doesn't know that I'm in this boat. <laughs> well, I posted this on our blog. Now, I'm looking at the camera. I don't know what's going on behind me. And so I posted it online and I start getting all of these emails. Did he bail the whole time? <laughs> and I am like, what do you mean did he bail the whole time? And I went back and looked at it and I thought, I am really in trouble now <laughs> because Jan is going to read the blog. No, he didn't bail the whole time, but when needed, he did. You guys, I love the adventure that God has called us to. I wanna show you a, a video of some of Sam's foster family kids. Uh, and this is a video of them after they have come in in their brokenness, in their orphan spirit, and they've been ministered to and they've been changed by the power of God. And Sam looked at me one time and he said, Wick, we don't leave them in their orphan spirit. We bring them through their grief. He said, they have to grieve, but he said, we don't leave them in grief. We bring them into celebration. And this will just give you a little clip of just a few minutes of them in their celebration mode Loving Jesus. Go ahead and give it to us. Look at the little guy in the middle on the front.
That'll give you a good idea of them celebrating. There's a lot more that they did that day. And if you want to see the rest of that dance, come with us to Uganda. And we'll let you see what redeemed kids look like. And I want to just wrap up our time introducing you to one other child. There's a little girl, and you can show uh, this first picture, a little girl who was abandoned in a dry riverbed in Pune, India. Now this little girl in this picture is two and a half months old. She weighs six pounds. She's in a Hindu orphanage and they don't feed them very much. As a matter of fact, she is starving to death because they only feed the babies in that home cow's milk with a spoon. A baby can't survive on that and certainly not with just the few spoonfuls of milk that they give them because no one will stand there and feed them until they're full. This little baby has burst eardrums. Both eardrums are burst because of massive ear infection. She has hepatitis A and pneumonia and she is dying. She is literally within just a couple days of passing away. She was found by a YOM couple who said, that is our little girl and she's not dying today. And they got in the face of that orphanage, that Hindu orphanage director, and they said, listen, you will take her to the hospital today. We will pay the hospital bill, and you will get her taken care of, and you will feed her until we finalize our adoption, and you will do this. And I know the woman very well, and I <clears throat> felt bad for the orphanage director. They were able to adopt her in seven months. It's a two-year process. They were able to do it in seven months. And this is her after she's been in the family just uh, a couple weeks. She's not dying anymore. She doesn't have burst eardrums, and she's not suffering from hepatitis A or pneumonia. She is being loved. And this is her in her princess mode. And you know, she makes a really, really good princess. And then this is her just uh, a short time ago. And the thing I love about this family is that it's my daughter and my son-in-law and this little girl is my granddaughter. You see, you can talk about 143 million, but until you make it personal, it's just a number. I wanna tell you something, I can make this personal. When Sarah comes over to our house and hangs out for an overnight and tells me in the morning what I need to cook for her, When she tells us that night that she comes, what games we will play and how many times we will play them. <laughs> I love it. I want us to look again at the scripture, just the first portion of that scripture that Jesus gave. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. For you see, this is the kingdom of Jesus. It's the transforming, changing work that God does in our lives. May we honor the king who has such a different kingdom. Amen? Amen. You know, we have a unique relationship with Wick and Jan and um, have been so blessed to get to partner with them, both in the structure of how our government works here at Christ Center, as you heard about the filibuster breaker uh, <laughs> option, which we've never actually had to use. So that's good. That's a good sign. Um, but we've, we've got to stand with Wick and Jan, and, um, and there came a, a point in their ministry when they stepped off into this ministry 12 years ago, and they, through circumstances that, that really aren't pertinent, ended up losing a tremendous amount of their funding in order to go and find funding for, for orphans. So I think that was kind of a baptism of fire that they actually became sort of <laughs> ministry orphans to, to begin that. And at that time, God spoke to us as a, as a tribe and said, you know, you're to step in and stand with Wick and Jan personally because the nature of their ministry is that they're going and raising funding for orphans. And when they raise funding for orphans, uh, many orphan or many ministries, what they'll do is a percentage of that will go to the administration, which is totally fine. Uh, but Wick and Jan, when they began this ministry, they really felt that they weren't to do that, that 100% of the funding was to go to the orphanages. And so that's kind of one of the, the key pieces. So when you write a check to Streams, everything goes to that orphanage. And so they've been able to, as you've heard, find funding for uh, coming up on 31, but 30 orphanages. So it's just a phenomenal ministry, and we're so honored to stand with Wick and Jan. However, we also said, you know, if you guys um, starve to death, it's going to be hard for you to go and raise money for orphanages. And so we felt that God was calling us to stand specifically with Wick and Jan. And so 5% of everything that comes into Christ Center goes to uh, the Streams of Mercy, part of raising the funds. And so we're able to partner directly with them to see this. So in our own way, we've been able to multiply that to see, and we want to see, you know, hundreds of orphanages funded. And our desire is eventually to come into a place where we can fund not only Stand with Wick and Jan personally and with this ministry personally, but also to fund a couple orphanages ourselves. So that's our desire and our prayer. And we're, we're growing more and more into seeing more of that happen. But we want to take an offering today and bless Wick and Jan's ministry that we could see hundreds of orphanages funded. And uh, we just so appreciate you guys. We so appreciate your ministry and uh, your friendship to us and the prayers. Wick and Jan pray for us daily. Um, so not only are they... Pardon? 
5 a.m., that's right. And it's powerful. Karen and I have got to go and, and stay with them, and it's so neat to be with them, and they'll go into their routine, and we're, we're part of that routine. So it's just such a blessing. But can we just extend? Uh, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and take an offering now to bless Streams of Mercy, bless Wick and Jan, but I want to pray over you guys. So. Father, we thank you for Wick and Jan. God, we thank you that you've put really your heartbeat in them. And not only that, but you've caused them to carry that heartbeat and to catalyze, to confront, to encourage, to exhort, to convict all of us to remember what the kingdom of heaven actually is. And you, you said, let the little ones come unto me. And here they are, advocates for the little ones. I thank you, Lord, for the uncomfortable message that we heard today, that you are looking at widows and orphans and to the extent that we're involved with them is to the extent that you see us, whether or not we're involved with the kingdom. I pray for each of us, Lord, that you would show us what obedience looks like for us today um, in, in small ways such as this offering, but also in other ways, Lord, that there are families in this room today that you've been speaking to that it's time to adopt. And there's others, Lord, that you're speaking that we need to go and serve orphanages. And there's others, Lord, that we need to continue in the thing that we've begun and it's grown sort of normal and we're thinking about maybe not supporting anymore and we need to stay strong. So wherever we are, Lord, we say yes to you. We ask that you, God, would inspire us, that you would speak clearly and we would not rationalize our way out of being a part of your upside-down kingdom where the least of these is the greatest. We bless Wick and Jan. We pray for strength. We pray for favor. We pray for abundant provision as they continue to be advocates, Lord, for our little brothers and sisters. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, yeah, write the check out to Christ Center. This will all go directly to streams. And so we're going to go ahead and pass that around. And while we are passing that around, I wanted to say this. I really believe that this journey that we're on for the next three months is going to be an incredible time of growth for us as citizens of the kingdom. And so I want to encourage you that if you're on the fence and you, and you, haven't, uh, you haven't signed up to, to be in a group for the next three months, I want to encourage you to reconsider and to sign up today. There's a lot of great groups, and this isn't just about getting to know other people. We want you to get to know other people. This is about being a disciple of Jesus Christ and being challenged by his word and responding to it so that it's a lifestyle of being in the kingdom as opposed to a sampling of church buffet on Sundays. And we, you know, I, I commend you as a people. You're an amazing group of people. I get, to, I get the glory of getting to uh, fellowship with a lot of tribes, and there's something unique about you. I'm not saying that just to, to, just to say it. It's really true. There's an engagement and a faithfulness and a beauty about this tribe that many of you really have said, yes, not just some of me, Lord, but all of me. And, and so to that, I want to encourage you, then don't miss the opportunity as we've been praying. And this isn't a cute idea that Jason and I thought up to go, wouldn't it be cute if we all got together and did a Bible study? No, we, we were praying. We felt like the Lord said, my people are not judging how to live based on my scripture and my Holy Spirit. They're doing it based on the culture around them. And they need to go back to their first love. And they need to learn how to think and reason from the place of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 
and the understanding of my gospel, which is spoken of in the scripture. And you got to take them to that place. And that's why we're doing this. And so we've done what we can do. And now I'm asking you on behalf of Christ, do what you can do. And let's go on this journey together. You guys have a great week. We'll see you in small groups. There's sign-ups on the back. You've got tear-outs. You can do that. If you have questions, uh, see myself, Jason, Janelle. I love you guys.